welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. This message is by Nigel Desmond. Alright, so um, just continuing our, ser- uh, our series and um, you know, the title of my message today is Walking in True Love. Walking in True Love. I love it um, in, in our home. Um, true love is a, uh, a phrase that gets said repeatedly by my youngest child. Um, she will often just, um, if I give my wife a hug or a kiss or anything, um, she will just, uh, it's like a Disney movie. I hear this sigh. Ah, true love. Hey, mommy, true love. And I, I have to say, absolutely, true, uh, true love. And, um, but I've been meditating on this subject of what does this look like inside of a Christian co- uh, context? What is true love? Because particularly right now, during this month of the year in, um, in, the, uh, in the world, um, you will see banners that say, love is love. Love is love. And the challenging thing with that is, of course, on its face, the statement is true. Love is love. You know, it's, you know, it is a self-evident circular, uh, circular argument. However, when we say love is love, we actually, if we want to get down to understanding what that statement is saying, we have to define our terms. We have to get into defining our terms to begin to understand when God says, love one another. What is he saying? What, what is he asking of us and what is he asking us to do? And for the Christian to begin to understand anything, you, you, don't, you can't start at the top of the tree, pick the, uh, pick the fruit, and start analyzing and understanding from there. But actually, you need to go right to the presuppositions, to the root of something, to understand what that is. And so for the Christian, we go back to God himself. We have to begin with God himself to understand anything. And the first thing that we need to understand about God is God is a relational God. See, see our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship, in perfect love for all eternity. And when He created you and I, He created you and I in that context. We were made, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, in His image. And so, anything you try to understand in the Word of God, any concept that God is trying to explain to you, is always spoken in a relational context. So my my friend Danny Silk, I was listening to him uh, this week, Danny Silk says, sin is anything that wars against love. Again, you know, I listened to Danny saying that, and I was like, okay, got to go and unpack that one, because that's, what does that mean? What Sin is anything that wars against love. And so, today I want to look at where, how do we begin to understand 
this concept of, uh, of love. And um, the difficulty is, in, in our modern uh, world, that certain things that were once very much put together have kind of been pried apart and pushed, uh, and pushed apart. So, for example, sex and love were meant in God's economy to go together. Sex and love were meant to be found intimately connected. However, in the, in the modern world, what the enemy has done is he managed to, to get some distance between the two, to separate them, then to divorce them, and put them on opposite sides of the room, but then, in a sneak move, redefine sex as love. It's a strange thing. It's a circular, it's like a, a circular argument. But how do we as Christians understand love? See, at the moment our culture has become obsessed with sex because sex has bred a whole host of new identities. New identities that, that are actually, biblically, we can understand that when you're drawing your identity from anything other than from God himself and the one who created you and, and made you, they literally just become idols because they uh, begin to define you. And so more and more um, behaviors and identities became conflated. So the result is that if you disagree with someone's actions, their appetites or their lifestyle, you are not rejecting the actions that they are doing, but you are rejecting the person themselves. And so it becomes very difficult to speak about actions, appetites, or lifestyles with someone and say, listen, I disagree with that. I, I love you. Because, the, because those things have become so conflated that to say such things becomes, in the world's um, parlance, hate speech. That you actually hate people. And I want to be absolutely clear. As a Christian you are not called to hate people. No matter how violently you disagree with them or how violently they disagree with you, we are called to love. In fact, in, um, turn with me in, uh, in the Bible to the book, of, uh, uh, the book of Ephesians. I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1. It's an interesting, it's an amazing scripture. Amazing two scriptures right next to each other. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, as imitators of God, as beloved children, therefore be imitators of God and as beloved children, and walk in love. Wow! Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So the Bible tells us literally here that we are to, in our behavior and our conduct, to walk in love and to imitate God. 
and he's, uh, and specifically Paul outlines what that looks like for us, that we are to walk in, in love in the way that God has uh, uh, displayed love, because we are loved children of, uh, of his. But the amazing thing is the standard he gives is of Jesus who gave himself up for us. You see, the biblical picture of love is founded in giving and sacrifice. It's amazing. It's self-sacrificing, not self-serving. It puts the interests of others ahead of oneself. And so the beginning of true love is not, wow, what am I going to get serving me, fulfilling my appetites and what I want and what I need, but it's actually sacrifice. And then note the next scripture. But immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. This is amazing. Because right here we have walk in love, but the next scripture says these things are not love. These things are not love. How, we, how do we get to this place? Because true love is biblically is in the context of relationship. Everything needs a foundation and everything needs a context. When you remove things out of context, you can actually get them to say or do the exact opposite of the thing for which it was created. And love is no different. Why did God give us love and why did God give us sex? See, sex is a beautiful thing in context. I heard a story once of, and listen, okay, uh, honestly, um, you know, this is a story, right? All right? There, there are no such things as sentient clocks, okay, that can talk to you, but the story goes that there was a cog inside of a big clock or a big uh, machine. It was a very little, little cog and, uh, inside, uh, inside the machine. And it would look around the rest of the machine and it would say to itself, man, I, I'm just such a little cog. I just feel so unimportant, you know. And I'd see these massive flywheels doing their thing and, and belts and, and gears and things. And one day it decided, you know what, I want to feel more important. And he pulled himself out of his spot, he ripped himself up, and he started to travel around the, clo uh, the clock. And said, you know what, I'm going to be, I want to be one of these flywheels. Inserted himself in there, and he, <clears throat> but man, it did not go well. He was outside of his design, and after a pretty, pretty short period of time, he found himself bent and buckled, and he thought, no, this isn't working. Pulled himself out, tried a couple of other places. After a short period of time, he found he had lost several teeth. He'd been bent and buckled and one of his things had been broken. And the clock wasn't working either. Glad somebody's enjoying that. And one day the, the, the mechanic walked by and heard this machine just going, and he's like, man, something is wrong in it. And he opened it up and he looked around and said, oh man, that bit's missing. Where's it going? Oh, how did it get down there? And he took it out 
And he took it back to his workshop and he remade it and he put back the teeth that were missing. He, uh, uh, he, he straightened it out. He made it as good as new. And then he took it and he put it back in the spot for which it was created. Tightened it up, gave it a bit of oil, turned the machine on. And suddenly not only was the machine going so well, but this little cog was like, boy, man, does this feel good. Wow. And he realized, man, when I was out of context, the whole clock broke down. I am important. I want to tell you, that's like almost anything in your life, actually, and that is your life as well. Because you have been created for a specific purpose. You have been created to live and work and exist in God's plan for your life. But if I take that down to just sex, sex has a purpose. And it's wonderful. It's a gift from God. But when we take it and pull it out of its context and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to use it here. I'm just going to use it to do this. I think I'm just going to have it uh, do it this way. What ends up happening, it becomes twisted broken and it starts breaking down the other areas of your, li- uh, your life too. Everything needs a context and everything needs to be inside of its context for it to become everything that God has called it to, uh, to be. In a way, our own message, the message of the Word of God, which is love, has been taken from us, turned twisted and weaponized against the gospel. And so, if you criticize people for choices that they're uh, making, or you, you criticize choices people make, let me say, um, then it's acu- uh, you're accused of being unloving. But the reality is, is that the gospel lays out the way in which you will experience life the best. Because God's heart for you is that you would prosper. God's heart for your family is that you would pro- uh, prosper. I read statistics to, uh, this week on, uh, on family that just um, spoke about, I just got it on here somewhere, that um, just spoke about the, the, the cost of fatherlessness. Let me, let me give you some of these statistics. In fatherless homes, 85% of children suffer from behavioral issues. 63% of youth suicide come from homes that are fatherless. 85% of prisoners come from fatherless homes. 71% of children who abuse substance, substances are fatherless. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. 44% of fatherless Homes live in poverty. I want to tell you that God established family for a purpose. And one of the primary reasons why God created sex was to create families and homes. Not the only reason. Let me just clarify that. It's not the only, uh, 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 only reason. Also, notice those statistics. It didn't, it, it, it said, 85% of children suffer, uh, um, and 63% of youth suicides are fatherless, 
But it does not say that um, if you're fatherless, um, 63% of those children uh, will have those issues. So you, you see that the logic's not, uh, not the same. So I'm not saying that, listen, if you've had that kind of uh, encounter in, li- uh, in life, that that's necessarily the case. I'm saying that we just put our children at greater risk. So what's happened in our society today is something that God created beautiful um, to create families and for the protection of the vulnerable. You see, you see the, most, the most amazing thing about every go- uh, gift God gives us, when he, he gives it to us, he gives it in a relational context. Why? Because the relationship puts the parameters around there not only for that thing to be experienced best, but to protect the vulnerable. To protect the vulnerable. Who's the most vulnerable in, uh, in that context? Well, I'll tell you. The children. The children are the most vulnerable human beings in our society. The consequences of us as a society, and literally globally, the consequences of, uh, of us deciding to take this precious gift that God has given us and to remove it from his context is that I think in the United States uh, alone, every, uh, every year abortion, I can't remember the statistic now, but literally millions of children die. Um, one million a year. One million children a year are dying because of abortion. Why is that happening? And I want to tell you why it's happening. It's because there aren't fathers there. For, for the vast majority of the cases, is that a woman finds herself in a, in a situation where she's so desperate that she violates the maternal instinct and she, she has aborts her own child and has become convinced that, that this is the right thing to do. Not only that, but you have a massive increase in fatherless homes like, uh, like I spoke of. So both on the maternal side and on the paternal side, Children are being abandoned. That was never God's heart. That was never God's heart. Not only that, but when you take sex out of a relational context, the next most vulnerable people are women. And, and you see, the uh, thing is, is like God designed this beautiful gift to be experienced in a place of intimacy and vulnerability in a covenantal relationship where men would be there to nurture, love, protect, provide for in that context so that women and children could be safe and loved and, uh, and, and protected. That there would, it would be a context in which families uh, could grow. So what do I mean when I say love is not just uh, love is not love? So... How did we get to this place? In the 60s, we started with the idea that just free love. Free love. The, the problem with the free love is there's no such thing. There's always a cost. You just pay it later or you pay it in, an, in another area. And so our society began rejecting the idea of love and of sex inside of the covenant of marriage. And we started with premarital and with the idea of more and more premarital sex and in society. Obviously, it's happened all the way through history. I understand this. Um, but I'm saying it just became more acceptable socially. Then people said, well, we live together. 
um, then it went to extramarital uh, sex. Prostitution started becoming more and uh, more, um, more and more accept, uh, acceptable. And then we started seeing different uh, kinds of sex. Same sex, homosexual sex, polygamy, polyamory is now uh, very much being spoken of in, uh, in society where we are wanting to legalize and formalize the idea of groups of people being married. So a, a group of people could be married, so five people living together, and they say they're all married, and the children that, that, that come from, from that thing belong uh, uh, to the group. Why is this a problem? I'll tell you why it's a problem. It's because it's a structure that leads inherently to instability and to brokenness in the family. It leads to structures in, uh, in which um, the children, the most vulnerable, grow up in a context in, uh, in which um, they are so much more likely to be exploited, um, to, be, to be abused, to be neglected, uh, uh, etc., let me just say as well, when we were talking about these different definitions of marriage, because back about a decade and a half ago when the whole topic of same-sex marriage was being debated, some people were standing up and saying that, listen, same-sex marriage is, it's not, it's a neologism, it's a new word, it's a new concept, because from the dawn of time, the definition of marriage was a man and a woman in covenant together to give birth to children. That was the definition of marriage. So, and, and, but people advocating for same-sex marriage were saying, well, we just want the same rights that everyone else has got. Let's be clear and understand that everyone did have the same rights. Everyone did have the same rights. Uh, if you were a man, you could marry any woman you liked. If you were a woman, you could marry any man you liked, as long as they were single. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In context, in context, in context. Yeah? Okay, you're understanding what I'm saying? But what, what was being advocated for was not the same rights, but a redefinition of a word, of the word mar uh, marriage. Because marriage meant something. Marriage meant a man and a woman ma uh, married together. Once that word got redefined, so you're like, okay, well, marriage, marriage doesn't just mean this, it means this. The problem was, once marriage, the word, doesn't mean something, it means nothing. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, so it becomes a fluid concept. So if marriage can be between two people of the same sex, why can't it be um, mean uh, between three people or four people or five people or it, 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 it ends up intrinsically meaning nothing. Why is this a problem biblically? Because truth matters. Because truth matters. Because um, concepts and truth have to be grounded in something. And this is the problem that we have in the world right now, is that we, we don't know where to draw the lines because we've removed all our foundation stones. We've taken our foundation stone and now we are trying to draw the, uh, the line. So today, and this is happening right now in, uh, in various countries in, in the world, there are lobby groups that are making huge progress to normalize 
and to legalize pedophilia. So, to, and, and they, they are, now pedophilia is uh, even, uh, it's like phylos, love, it's love of children. And so, they're not calling it pedophilia anymore. What they call it, they call themselves minor attracted persons. A map. Minor attracted persons. Now you need to understand, because it sounds so extreme. Does that sound extreme to you? Like you think, you're looking at me and thinking, come on, Pastor, this is wild. But you need to understand, in all of human history, this has happened. In the Roman Empire, um, uh, during that, uh, that entire time, children were not protected. Children were not protected. Little girls and little boys in most empires of the world were routinely used for the sexual gratification of adults. It was the gospel that changed this. Even in the United, uh, in the United Kingdom, before the, uh, the, the Reformation and the Wes, uh, Wesleyan Revival, um, little girls were being kidnapped off the streets because there was no consent law. Uh, in fact, when they first debated making the, the, the law, the age of consent, 16, in the British Parliament, it was, there was a huge think about it, massive, until the, 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 you know, the Wesleys and uh, the Wilberforces and the Clapham sect drew a line and said, this is going to be the age, uh, age of consent. When they, when they made that, uh, that the age of consent, all of a sudden, little girls and little boys were protected. You see, this is the crazy thing, an institution that God has set up to protect children has now come all the way around and is being used to abuse children. How wild is that? So what's the biblical view? The biblical view, Joshua 1, verse 8 and 9, um, as the Israelites entered into the promised land, God said to Joshua, and obviously to, uh, told them to teach this to the Israelites, He said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children from this time on and forevermore. Be, uh, so uh, You shall meditate on it so that you will be prosperous and successful in everything that you do. Literally what He said and what He taught the Jewish people, He said, Thinking this way and thinking about uh, 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 these words, thinking about the Old Testament, if you think like this and you continue to think like this, it's going to set you up for success. To this day, the Jewish people are probably the most successful people uh, and people group in, uh, in, the, in the world. The Ten Commandments that, uh, that God gave are not just given to... Um, they're given to us to set the boundaries. The first one, declaring who God is. Ulti what's of ultimate uh, uh, value. The second one, declaring... Don't make idols. Why? Because we're called to get our identity only from Him. The third one, don't wear God's name in vain. In other words, don't claim to be God's people and live like the world. The fourth one, interestingly, sets up family structure. Sets up fam uh, family structure. What's that? The Sabbath. Rest. Yes, sorry. Resting in, in, in God. So the first thing I want to say 
is that when you look at the first commandment, it's a, uh, and Jesus summarized the commandments into two commandments, he said, these are the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as, your, uh, as yourself. In establishing love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, what God did was he showed that there are loves and then there are illegitimate loves. It is legitimate. In fact, it is a required duty of human beings to love God. This is an amazing thing. God commands us to, to love Him. What? God commands us to love Him. Which means that love is more than just a feeling, it's a duty that we get. But in loving Him, and He says, you shall have no other gods before me, He says, don't love other gods. So they are the first principle that you see there is there are legitimate loves and there are illegitimate loves. Does that make sense? So there are boundaries around love. The second com uh, commandment, you shall have no other gods, uh, you shall not make an image. So there are things that you are to love and there are things you are not to love. There are boundaries around, uh, around love. When, when I... Uh, married this beautiful woman here. We established boundaries for our love. We, we exchanged vows and I said, I choose you. And she said, I choose you for life, one another. That's it for all time. And what we did was we said, there's going to be a context for love in our life and you're the one that I want, baby. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Imagine if I'd said to her, Debbie, you're going to be my girl on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday I want a day off, Saturday and Sunday. Woo! How excited would she have been? Mm, I think we know the answer to that. I would have left the church single with a red handprint on my face. It would not have happened because there are boundaries and you see, it's the very boundary that provides the protection. Amen? You know, and, and, and the, the, uh, the commandment to me as a husband is not, Nigel, feel like loving your wife. I am often reminded, love your wife. Love your wife. This is, you, it's like, it, this is not, hey? Like Christ loved the church. Yes, exactly. And the context of that is Jesus died for the church. So when she's like in the middle of the night, two o'clock, and she says to me, I'm thirsty. I've already made the decision in my head that the correct answer is, well, there is water in the tap, woman. Go get yourself a drink. No! I already know the answer is... Okay. <laughs> Where's your water bottle? And I will go and get her water. We made this decision long time ago. Love's a duty. As a father, I don't have an option. 
whether or not I get to love my children. It is a duty. But you know, duty has got this, it's got this like negative connotation in our world. But it's not. It's so beautiful when we embrace it in a biblical context. Also, we have the love the world. We call to love every person we meet. Amen? But love also has boundaries. And those boundaries have to be rooted in truth. How do we know if our picture is in the truth? And I'm going to end with the scripture. Which I haven't written down. But my wife will find it for you. When it talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. The word of God tells us that Christ has become for us the chief cornerstone. What is the cornerstone? In ancient times, when people would build a building, um, they would have two, two important parts of the building. One, there was a foundation on which it lay, and Christ is also our foundation. But in this context, um, the writer says that Christ is the chief cornerstone, because how they would build is they would lay the foundation, and then they would put a, they'd put a cornerstone in. It was a, like a solid pillar at the corner of the building, and everything would tie in to that, uh, to that cornerstone. It kept the building square. It kept it, uh, it, it kept it uh, grounded and prevented it from, you know, getting out of whack. I want to tell you something. Anything, have you got the scripture? Here we go. Ephesians 2. Built on the foundation of the apostles and, uh, and the prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in, uh, in the Lord. So, anything that can't tie into Christ has no... no um, it has no business in the building. If it can't tie into the way God designed it, then it's not part of the, uh, not part of the building. You see, this is... This is why I keep on asking, I, you can ask my family, I'm always saying, how do we get to this? That literally, in the world, we're debating whether or not we're going to legalize pedophilia. And, and I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I want to tell you, there, is, there are lobby groups and legislation being written in the United States of America, in several different states, to decriminalize pedophilia. It's just like, your mind goes how did we get there? It's because we said that there are no boundaries anymore. That love is love. That do whatever you want. It's fine. You do you, I'll do, uh, uh, do me. That doesn't work. It's never worked. Because in a society like that, it is the powerful who end up dominating, the vulnerable who get explo- uh, exploited, and everything gets broken. Christ is the chief cornerstone and his heart for us is that you might prosper and be successful in all that you do. Amen. Let's pray. We hope you have enjoyed this message from Nigel Desmond. For more information, please visit nigelanddebbie.org.